you for that. How many people are ready for a word today? Why don't you open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 26. You're like, Chronicles, all right. 2 Chronicles, chapter 26. I'm actually kicking off a new series today. Very excited about this. Going to be in this for the next couple of weeks with you. And just a little bit of prelude, because I like to build a foundation before we open up a series here. Um, the book of First and Second Chronicles follows the books of First and Second Kings in your Bible, chronologically. Originally, they were written as one book, okay? So Kings was really transcribed as one book. Chronicles originally transcribed as one book. They just kind of separated them. They, for the most part, overlap and mirror each other. There are very important details that you'll find in one, maybe not in the other, so it's good to read them together, kind of lay them over one another. Uh, Most likely, they were written or authored, scribed by different penmen, Jewish tradition. Now, it doesn't, we're not 100% sure because when you read it, it doesn't say, you know, I, this person, am writing to you. That's the number one way that you can know who wrote the, the Bible book or the letter or the epistle or the psalm as if they identify themselves, right? David says, uh, I'm, you know, me, David, son of so-and-so, and he authors it, or Paul, I'm writing to you, so you know. Well, it doesn't say that in Chronicles or in Kings. Jewish tradition typically ascribes Chronicles to uh, the scribe Ezra, typically ascribes Kings to the prophet Jeremiah, but they're written in different time periods as well, and that'll actually play in here in a little bit to my message. But what you'll see is that for the most part, these books are the accounts of the kings of Israel and of Judah. And it began, the the first king we know was King Saul. God had judges in place to govern and oversee the land. God didn't want to give his people a king because he says, I'm your king. But they demanded a king, and so God gave them Saul Saul became a wicked king, and then David was the second king, and then his son Solomon, and then eventually Solomon had sons, and the kingdoms split because of idolatry and because of sin, always creates division governmentally and nationally, and, uh, and so then you see periods where there's Israel and Judah referred to kind of separately. It's one kingdom of 12 tribes, but then there's division and separation, all right, and then Jesus comes back and he unites all of us, the Jews and the Gentiles, as one family, a heavenly family. Praise God for that. And so you see this succession of kings. We're going to talk about in this series one very specific king by the name Uzziah. King Uzziah. Okay? And you will see something in this story about Uzziah that is really a pattern that we can identify with all throughout Scripture. In fact, this pattern that I'm going to kind of open up and bring to us through this series is probably one of the most ingrained, thoroughly repeated patterns all throughout Scripture. And that is that there can be a rise by God in the life of a man or a woman, but there can also be a fall. We can be raised up to great things, in a destiny, and in a calling, 
But if it's not walked out properly, then there can actually be a very mighty and destructive fall in the life or a man, of a man or a woman. Are you with me? So let's read verses uh, 1 through, I think, 16 to kind of open this up today. Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old, make a middle note of that, when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Yecholiah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father, Amaziah, had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. I'm going to repeat that line. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Now he went out and made war against Philistines, broke down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, the wall of Ashdod. He built cities around Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal, and against the Meunites, also against the Ammonites who brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. And Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, at the corner gates of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the desert. He dug many wells, for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number on their roll as prepared by Yael the scribe and Maasiah the officer under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. And under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Then Uzziah prepared for them and for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and slings to cast stones. He even made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on towers and on corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped until he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord. Stop there. Oh God, we want nothing more than to hear from you today. We desire your wisdom, we desire your presence. We desire you, your will, and you alone, God. I pray that you would increase in this place today. I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your humble servants. There are many here today, I perceive, who are in a moment, in a season 
where they're searching, they're grasping. They need a word from you, God. They need something in this time that they're in to just kind of help advance them and move them forward in this place that they may be at laboring and serving you. I pray that you would speak through me. I don't need any attention. God, I don't need any recognition. I just want you to use me as your mouthpiece. That's all I want, to just speak through me. But I pray that you do it in such a manner that the fire and anointing of the Holy Ghost rests in this pulpit today, oh Lord God. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. So Uzziah becomes king at 16 years old. 16. Can you imagine that? Think about that. 16. You're king over the whole land. That's a mighty, that's a mighty responsibility. Seemingly, he handles it very well for quite a long time. 52 years, actually. It says that he was king. I'll give you just a little bit of the back end of the story that we didn't finish on in the chapter reading, but ultimately when he gets into his later years, he has a major fall. And he tries to go into the temple and usurp the role of the priest to burn incense before the altar of the Lord, which is not a position that God had designated to the king. But Uzziah refuses to heed the warning of the priest. He refused to receive godly counsel. He insists and demands his own way. He goes in, he burns incense, and he is struck with leprosy. The Bible says he was a leper until the day he died. And when he was a leper, he was cast out of society. He was removed from the throne. He was cast out. He lived in isolation for the rest of his days and it says he was buried in a field. This is not a burial place for a king. But that's where he was buried. So I want you to think about that for a second. There is a lifetime of increase. There is a lifetime of progressive escalation, advancement. God lifting him up to a place of favor for him. And then in a moment, seemingly, it's gone. I would... Suppose as I read the scriptures to say that when this happened to Uzziah and he was struck with leprosy and he was cast into isolation, that was probably a, a pretty difficult thing to deal with. A lifetime of building and of increasing and of accumulating and in a moment it's gone. Just like that. Probably things that had become very important to him that he got attached to that were part of where his heart began to stray, once he got into isolation, once he had the fall, once he experienced this downturn, they probably mean very little to him. Would you agree with me? But as we look at the early parts of his life and through the majority of his kingship, we see a man who was extravagantly blessed by God. We see a man who was divinely assisted <laughs> with favor, with blessing, 
to be able to be increased in his position that he could serve God's plan and will for his life. It says that as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. It says that the Lord marvelously helped him. The title of this series that I'll be preaching for the next few weeks is The Road to Greatness. The Road to Greatness. Now, even in the title, some might say, whoa, greatness, you know, that's a kind of a lofty, maybe even a humanistic approach. Well, I think if you'll hang with me through the series, you'll see that how God views greatness is often very different than what the world views greatness. But make no mistake, God intends for you to be great. Let me ask you it this way. Would it be okay with you if God marvelously helped you? Would that be okay? Would it be okay if God did a work in you, through you, in your life, in your calling to where you were raised up to be exceedingly strong for Him? Would that be okay? Because God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. It it looks very different. It's very unique. That's actually beautiful. But what covers that calling is that God intends to bless us with His favor, with divine assistance to accomplish things that we can never accomplish on our own. You see, these things that Uzziah experienced, that he was blessed with, they could not be achieved by man. They could not be accomplished by man's human strength. Sir, ma'am, I'd just like to encourage you that your skill, my skill, it cannot compete with divine assistance and favor of God if he's blessing your life. And there's no end to the places that he can take us. But as he takes us, As we ride that journey out in our lifetime here on this earth, we need to be mindful that there is a road, there is a path, there is a way we walk this out. And if we're not careful, if we don't, or if something gets in and gets a hold of our heart that steers us in a different direction, there's a warning, there's a heed, there can come a fall. But if we'll walk it out, God will continue to raise us up to great things, mighty things for him. The prophet Jeremiah says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you could never know. That's the God we serve. That's the God I'm here to tell you about today. The road to greatness. But put that slide back up for a second. If you look at this picture in this illustration, you'll notice something about the road. It's a dirt path. It's a humble road. It's kind of a seemingly low road. Am I making sense to anybody today? I'm trying to tell you the road up high with God is continuing to walk the humble path in our hearts. If we stay true to our need and dependency on God, if we stay humble, there's no end to the places that He can take us. There's no end. But if pride, self-dependency, self-glory ever start to creep in and become part of our motive or begin to taint our heart, God will say, I I won't bless that. He'll take his hands off of that. And then we will come to a very 
clear realization in that point, which is that, holy cow, it wasn't really me doing this all along. And that's what happened with Uzziah. The road to greatness. Let me tell you what this is really not about, this series. It's not um, a prosperity message. It's not a message where I'm coming to you and saying, God wants everyone to be a millionaire. God wants you to have everything. You know, God wants you to just be rich and wealthy and famous. When I say the road to greatness, that's not what I'm talking about. But we have exaggerated that and, and swung that to extremes in some places in the church today, haven't we? It's human nature, we do that. We swing in a direction or another direction. We go to extremes. We like to exaggerate things. I was brushing my son Dax's hair this morning. We were getting ready, and as I was brushing his hair, I, I kind of clipped the side of his ear. It hurts, you know, when you do that. And he's like, ah, Dad! You know, I just kind of grazed him, just kind of scratched his ear a little bit. And he says, he goes, ah, Dad! Ah, that makes me think about when Peter cut off that guy's ear in the garden. I'm like, son, that's a little extreme, you know. I don't know if I would go that far. But we, <laughs> but we do that. We exaggerate things, and that, that is not what this message is about. But I'd like to read you a few verses just so you can see that God really does want to bless you. He really does want you to have favor. He really does want to promote, to exalt, to elevate you to places of influence for him. In fact, we know one of the scriptures in Luke about Jesus, it says that as a young boy, that he grew in the wisdom and stature of God and that he had favor with God and men. That's interesting because in Proverbs, it says if you bind truth and mercy around your neck that you too will have favor with God and with men. Favor is the thing, guys, that can accomplish something you can never accomplish, I can never accomplish. It's the thing we can't compete with it. With it, we look way better than we are, and without it, nothing is ever enough. We can never do enough in our own strength to compare or compete with the place that God wants to take us. You can't. You can't. Proverbs 18, 16 says this, A man's gift makes room for him, and it brings him before great men. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Jeremiah 17, verse 7, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river. It will not fear when the heat comes. Its leaf will be green. It will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. Uzziah built towers in the desert. This Bible is telling me that if I trust in the Lord, if I seek the Lord, I can be like a tree planted beside waters and streams. It doesn't matter if it's dry. It doesn't matter if it's hot. It doesn't matter if it isn't raining. I'm going to be healthy and I'm going to bear fruit for God. It is unconditional to the season of this world that we are in. That's favor, folks. Favor for God, to be used for Him and for His glory. Not for my kingdom, not for our kingdom, but for His kingdom, for His glory. That He be seen, not me be seen. 
It's the John the Baptist formula, right? I mean, John the Baptist says, hey, I just pray that I decrease so that he increases. He got a hold of something. I mean, that man understood something. But in today's world, I've thought a lot about this. Like John the Baptist's ministry kind of faded out before he died so that Jesus could come front and center. In church metrics today, that would not be a formula for successful church growth. Church is shrinking. People are leaving. They're going somewhere else. They're going to Jesus now. (laughs) But would you agree with me? He was wildly successful in what God called him to do. His purpose, his destiny was accomplished. But in accomplishing all that God had for him, it required him to move out of the spotlight and God to actually move more into, Jesus to move more into the spotlight. I don't know what your path looks like. I'd like to hear about it. I'd like to know. That's part of what we try to connect with people to find out about. What's God doing in your life? We care. We want to know. We want to help. We want to be a part of it. But I don't know what your path looks like. I'm not sure where God's taking you, what the uniquenesses are of your journey. But make no mistake, I am very confident that if God is going to raise you up to be all that he has created you to be, you're going to have to take the humble road. You're going to have to find that path that's that lowly path that says, God, I can't do this on my own. I don't want the glory. I don't need to be seen. And ultimately, God, my strength is impossible without your strength in me. That that's the place where we get to. But I want to give somebody here permission today, and maybe you've been kind of beat down with some bad doctrine or bad religion over the years that might suggest to you that you, don't, you, know, you shouldn't want to be great, you shouldn't want to have influence, you shouldn't want to have favor for God. You know, Jabez, the prayer of Jabez in First Chronicles chapter 4, it says that Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territories, that your hand would be with me, God, that I might not know evil. You know what it says? And the Lord granted him what he requested. So you tell me that God isn't interested in granting favor, enlarged territory, and influence for him. I think somebody today maybe just needs permission to pray for that, to think big for that, but on God's terms and not on ours. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. Jesus had these moments with his disciples where And John and James specifically came to him, and their mother came to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you make my sons great? You remember that story? Moms, (laughs) you know, sometimes they get into things, right? She had her good intentions for her kids. But she's like, "Would would you make my sons great? Would you prop them up, you know? I love the way that Jesus responds to this. He says, I'll tell you who is great in the kingdom. Notice that. Great in the world versus great in the kingdom can mean two very different things. I'll tell you who's great in the kingdom. Greatest in the kingdom is somebody who's the servant of all. It's this person who can humble themselves as a little child. And these scriptures jump out at me. They scream to me. 
I'm not interested in being great by the world's standards. I left that a long time ago. I could care less. I'm interested in being great in the kingdom. That's where I want to be found great. God says, I'll do that for you. I will. I'll raise you up. If you walk with me, if you stay true to me, that's the path I'll take you down. To be great in the kingdom of God, not necessarily by the world's standards, but in order to do that, we gotta, we've got to kind of go against the grain. We've got to subscribe to heaven's rules and heaven's principles instead of what the world tells us that we need to do to accumulate wealth or stature or fame or influence. But I'm here to tell you today, Christian, that if you will stay true to what this word says, if you will stay true to following the precepts and principles and be obedient to what God says, there's absolutely no end to the places that he can take you. And what will end up happening is that the world will marvel at what God is doing in your life. But the world would not give you the right path to follow if you were relying on it to define the journey that you needed to take. But if we follow the road that God has us on and we stay true and humble, hallelujah, guess what? There's no end to where we can go. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. The Lord says this, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Wow. Riches, influence, strength, power, all of these things. He says, don't glory in that. Don't let that be your motive. Don't let that be your agenda. If you're going to glory in something, which means to shine with brilliance, it means the thing which people see and notice the most about you in your life. He says, if you're going to glory in something, glory in this, that you know me. Know is actually experiential. It's the same word that was used in the garden when it said Adam knew Eve. Think about that. He says, you want to you glory in something, glory in this. Come after me. Know me. Deeply, deeper than ever before. Make that your life's journey to pursue and know me. And I'll tell you what I'll do. The riches, the wealth, whatever you need to do what I'm calling you to do, the influence, the strength, I'll give you all that, but don't ever let that be your motive. Don't ever let that be your agenda. If your purpose is to know me and to know me more, I'll take care of all that other stuff. That part's easy for me. But I'm interested in your heart. I'm interested in knowing you. And this is the beautiful thing, church, is that when we do that, humble ourselves to this place. I need God. I'm fully dependent on him. I need his strength. I need his wisdom. I need everything from him. I can't do anything without him. I can't take one step in my calling without his favor and his assistance. When we take that road, God says, I'll bless that. I'll bless that. James says, he says that God gives grace, which is divine favor and assistance. He says he gives grace to the humble. But you know what else it says? He resists the proud. He won't touch it. He won't bless it. Pride begins to creep in. It's, I mean, it's God's law. It's his rule. He's, I will not bless that. I will not touch that. It goes against who I am. And the moment that starts to happen, there's this, there's this pivot. You know what I notice about Uzziah is that he started well. He started well, but he ended poorly. I really think 
that he did very good for a long time, but ultimately, God was blessing him so much, there was so much favor that he reached a point where it was more than he could really handle. Have you ever felt like before you're in a place where you're praying for something to come into your life, you're praying for a resource, you're praying for a promotion, you're praying for an advancement, I don't know what it is, but you're seeking for this next level and it just doesn't seem to be happening? Have you ever prayed for that before? you ever wondered about that? I just sometimes have to wonder, maybe does God know that we are not ready for that yet? And if he puts it on us, there's not enough stability under us in our character, in our humility to be able to actually hold up what he wants to give us next i wonder if he says no i need to reinforce your character i need to reinforce that work of humility we 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 need another season together of you just seeking and knowing me more to prepare you for what's next and what i want to give you and there's this beautiful thing that happens when we take our eyes off the stuff and we put our eyes on the real prize which is him and knowing him more and deeper that all that other stuff, it's, it's like, wow, it just works better when God takes care of it and puts it in place for us instead of us trying to force our hand and make those things happen. Are you with me? And so there's this pattern we see in the life of Uzziah. Guys, it's all through Scripture. There, there can be a rise, but there can be a fall. We see it in the lives of men and women all throughout history. Even today, even today, we begin to see it celebrities, people, they start to get fame, they start to get things, and then all of a sudden, they get really propped up. You know, it's the whole larger-than-life mentality, right? Thinking, oh, I'm great, I'm wonderful, I'm, I'm better than everybody. And then all of a sudden, they begin to be fractured in their character, in their integrity, in their marriage, in their morality, in their life, and just begin to fade away with these falls and this destruction. We see it all through Scripture, in fact, the, probably the greatest example would be with Satan himself, which tells me that this is his work. This is what he specializes in. This is what he seeks to do. Because let me tell you something, if God raises somebody up and they get to a place of great influence for him, if Satan can destroy that person and bring that person down and ruin their credibility, that is a major fall and discredit, right, to the life of that person that God was using. They become a greater target. Let me say it that way. The more God is using them and blessing them. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Lord speaking to Lucifer. He says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So think about this with me. You ever, when you're a kid on playgrounds at school, you remember those giant seesaws? Anybody ever play on those before? Those giant seesaws, those are so much fun, right? You get on one side, another person on the other side, and then this person comes crashing down, and you go way up high, 
like 10, 15 feet in the air. I don't even think they were allowed to have those probably anymore on playgrounds, right? <laughs> those were so much fun. A very inverse relationship. If one goes down, the other goes up. The other goes up, the other one goes down. This is the pattern, really, that God is trying to show us for our lives. If you humble yourself, I'll take you up. You take yourself up, you're coming down. That's how it works. Satan, Lucifer, an angel in heaven, tries to exalt himself to the highest possible place. You know what the outcome is? He's cast out. He's thrown down. He's cut off. And he's put in the actual lowest place of the pit. Tries to go all the way up, but he actually comes all the way down. It's amazing to me to think about this, but in the end of days, the Antichrist under the control of Satan will do this very same thing again. The Bible says that he will sit in the throne of God, in the temple of God, and he will declare himself to be God. This is during the Great Tribulation. Daniel refers to this as the abomination of desolation. It's the desecration of the temple. Once again, the thing that got Satan where he is, he tries to repeat. You don't think he's going to try to do this in your life and mine? He's been doing it since the beginning. He's going to do it again at the end. But I'm telling you, praise God. Scripture also says that when he does and Jesus returns on that white horse and the clouds tear open, he's got eyes of fire and a sword coming out of his mouth. With the brightness of his coming, they will all be destroyed. And the Antichrist and the false prophet will be thrown out, cast out, once again thrown out into the lake of fire for all of eternity. He sees the script, yet he keeps repeating it, trying to take himself up, prop himself up, pump himself up, and ultimately he's coming down. But we have an opposite of that. We have a hero in our story. His name is Jesus. He went the other direction and modeled for us the way we are to live out our lives, the road to greatness that he has for us. It says he came down off the throne from the highest place in the heavenlies that there was to sit and rest. It said he was above all of the heavens, church, all of the heavens. And he came down, humbled himself to, to flesh to the point of the cross, and to death. He even went down into the pit itself during the three days to deliver the captives. And you know what happened? By Jesus coming down and taking the lowly road, God raised him back up, seated him on high, and he's sitting there resting and reigning again for all of eternity. If we'll humble ourselves, God will take us up to great things. Amen? I want to encourage you with that today, that God has a marvelous plan to help you. He wants to marvelously assist you in doing great things for Him in this world. But if our hearts get off course, you notice that Uzziah, it says the same thing. If you read on in the chapter, it says that when he tried to burn incense, they warned him. And he refused to listen. The priests came to him and they withstood him. 
And he refused to listen and he persisted. And it says they thrust him out. He was cut off from the presence of God. The Bible says after that. He came crashing down. Wow. I think in the beginning, he started really well. He was 16. I think there was a humility about him. I think he realized that he was in over his head without God. We need to stay in that place. (laughs) But it happens sometimes where we get to this place like Uzziah where all of a sudden now he's, he's really experiencing some success and some favor. I mean, you, you read it with me, right? He had armies. He had political favor. He was a leader of leaders. He had armies following him. He had devices for war that they were inventing and manufacturing that nobody had. I mean, it's just blessing upon blessing upon blessing. But he gets to this place where now the priests who are really designated in this place, he was trained under a prophet and a priest named Zechariah who said had understanding in the visions of God. I mean, he was taught and trained on knowing and hearing the ways of God. He had insight. He had wisdom. I mean, he had everything that God was wanting to give him to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. And then he got to the point somewhere along the line where I think his heart turned and he began to think a little bit more, this is really about me, this is my doing, instead of God has done all of this. And then he refused to receive the correction that the priest wanted to give him. You ever see that in people's lives where they start to have success and then all of a sudden the people that poured into them, that invested in them, that helped them along the way, now all of a sudden this person thinks they're better than them. Now, you can't help me anymore. Right? They try to usurp. You can no longer, you can no longer help me. I'm, I'm beyond you. It comes in these... Subtle forms. Enemy doesn't care how he gets it in there. He doesn't care how he slips pride into our heart. If he can get it in there in any way whatsoever, he's going to get it in there and it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow. It's going to metastasize. And then it's ultimately going to lead to a fall. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs eighteen twelve, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 29, 23, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Wow. Church, I don't know about you, but I want to finish well. Amen? I want to finish well. And I want God to take me wherever it is that he wants to take me. I want his favor to mark my life. That's what I want. I'm not interested in accolades. I'm not interested in things that would make man's heart propped up. I'm, I'm only interested in one thing. Being great in the kingdom. I want to be great in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you want to know how you're great? And he says, he made John, he says, John the Baptist was one of the greatest. He was the greatest among men. 
This is clearly something that's good, that God desires for us to, to seek, to pray for, to go after, but to follow it out based on his principles. Jesus says, if you want to know how to be great, be a servant. Make it not about you, make it about everybody else. You want to know how to be great? Stay humble. Stay humble. Guard your heart. Tend the garden that I'm putting you as a steward over. Take care of that. I'll take care of the promotion. I'll take care of the advancement. I'll take care of the elevation. I'll take care of exalting. But trust God along the way that he knows what we're ready for. And I wonder, I just wonder today if there's somebody here who it's like you feel like you're supposed to be further than what you are. You feel like you should be higher up. You should have already had that promotion. You should have already had that breakthrough. You should have already had that, that, that blessing or whatever it is. And I just, I wonder, I just wonder if God's saying, you're not ready for it yet. Let's tend your heart. You want to glory in this. Glory in knowing me. Come after me. Come get me. Seek me. Pursue me. Know me as deep as you ever can. Because ultimately, church, and I'll close with this, God will be glorified. He will. He showed me something in the scriptures one day that just, just knocked me off my chair. Read this to you. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 14. Sheol has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure. Their glory and their multitude and their pomp. He who is jubilant shall descend into it. People shall be brought down. Each man shall be humbled. And the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment. And God who is holy shall be hallowed in righteousness. This is what the Lord showed me. It says it can happen one of two ways. You can choose to exalt and glorify me in your life the way you live. And if you do, I'll raise you up. But if you don't, then there's a fall. And make no mistake, God will be exalted one way or another. And if it has to be through judgment, then it will be through judgment because God can take no other place but preeminent and supreme. Does that make sense? So I have a choice to make with my life. Will I live it for him? Will I seek to be great in the kingdom, not in the world? Will I take the humble road and stay there and continue to steward every opportunity, every open door, everything that God would do? Would I steward it in such a way where I'm always thinking, God, keep my heart right before you? <laughs> Help me stay humble, Lord, that I may see you do anything and everything that you want to do in and through my life. I don't want to get in the way because my heart shifts or turns. You see, Uzziah, it said his heart was lifted up. Something changed in there along the way. 
And we read in Isaiah 14, story of Satan being cast out. You know what it said? You said in your heart, I will become great. I mean, Uzziah, it says, and you got to pick this up, but it says he was exceedingly strong. God made him strong. He was great. He had favor. He had influence. He was exceedingly strong until he became strong. Wait a minute. What's that all about? He was strong until he became strong? I'll tell you what it's about. It's, it's how you view strength. He was strong in God's might, in God's power, in God's favor, in God's assistance, as long as his heart was low. But whenever he became strong in his own heart and in his own eyes, that's when he actually fell. Wow. Hallelujah. My prayer today for us is that we will know that God has a purpose and a plan to raise us up to great things for him. Matthew 23, 12. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Seesaw. It's right there. And it's all through scripture. It's at the beginning. And it's at the end. And the work of building pride in someone's heart is Satan's mastery. Just know that the path God wants to take you down to greatness will be filled with many opportunities for Satan to try to tempt your heart away, to think that somehow it's about you or somehow you were strong enough to make some of these things happen. I want to live in a place where it's very apparent and obvious all the time. There is no way that Matt Heck could do this. There is no way that I could walk in the things that God is doing in my life. There is only one explanation for it. My God, my Jesus, is marvelously helping me. And I pray it be said of you too.